this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. Hey everyone, this is Linus. So since we last uh, got together last month, I've been still working on the YouTube series. So we came out, I think, with two more episodes since then. We had our first four episodes up last time, and we have an episode visiting Cayo Largo, Cuba, and I've even created a playlist, Slow Boat to Cuba, in anticipation of the book that I hope to finish soon. And in that playlist, we have all the videos uh, through from New Orleans to Cayo Largo, Cuba, right before we go offshore and cross the Caribbean Sea. Uh, And then I just put up a couple days ago the uh, offshore trip from Providencio where we had all the problems with electrolysis and sparks on the lifelines and then really give you a video cruising guide of the uh, pirate paradise Providencia in the middle of the Caribbean Sea. So you know, if that's that is definitely an island that everybody, uh, all my guests who visited there, said they loved, and uh, I think many of them, if not all of them, said it was their favorite place they visited. Just because everything is at your fingertips as a cruiser in Providencia, and of course we did several podcasts in Providencia, so the guests that had visited there were. Nikki Steiger of White Spot Pirates, the crew of Sundowner Sales again, episodes two and three, Tate McDaniel, Skipper, and uh, the Dominique True Love of SV Seawolf, which I think was episode 20. So I encourage you to subscribe to the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube channel for free, and you can get those adventures as soon as they are posted. I, you know, I think I'm going to be posting them in between uh, podcasts, so if you're starved for content, you'll definitely find them there on YouTube. I Also, this last month, I helped out Annie Dyke, our episode 23 guest, with one of her videos, number 75, How to Get the Mrs. Go to Go Cruising. And uh, that episode has a lot of good advice about talking to your significant other uh, about, uh, you know, maybe a lifestyle change. And you get to see some pictures of our crews as we cross the equator. So you should definitely check out Annie's HaveWindWillTravel.com YouTube channel to see episode 75, which I know is going to be one of our most popular episodes. So for the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube channel, I put out an episode plan on our WordPress blog, which you can get at slowboatsailing.com and then go to the blog tab. And uh, that has a 13-episode plan currently. And so we're at episode 6, so we're about halfway through. Uh, We just hit our you know goal to get uh, 250 subscribers and that we gave away the second one of my limited edition books uh, 
to Slobo to the Bahamas. So they were, I got like 10 of these books uh, with the previous publisher. And I don't know if there's many more than those out there. And I gave away most of them to family, but I have a few left and I gave away one to Carla, who is a YouTube subscriber who gave me uh, her address as part of a drawing through Facebook uh, via Facebook Messenger and we'll be doing another drawing for the channel when we hit 500 subscribers and a thousand and we had already done one after we hit 100 subscribers and thank you for all everyone who took a chance on our channel you know what I'm trying to do is to make highly edited videos so if you look at like the last video there were probably 120 plus cuts in an eight minute video uh, to make a very visually interesting um, well-produced video so I, I you know I think there's kind of different schools of thought on how you build a YouTube channel uh, and one is that you, you know you need to have uh, really high quality and that's what we're shooting for really great locations very exotic locations and, and very high quality with the editing and then the other school of thought is that you just put out a ton of content on a regular basis you know that's not the that's not what we're doing so that I, I think my viewers time is very valuable and they should see the best content out there and so uh, our guest today, SV Prism, are definitely on the high quality side that they're putting out just, you know, wonderful videos. And uh, you'll, you'll learn that the skipper of SV Prism uh, is a cameraman in TV and he's uh, been on, he's been on several, you know, very professional projects, much more professional than you would expect for somebody having a YouTube channel uh, and they're they're putting out just marvelous videos but not tons of them if you're a supporter of the podcast on patreon you'll get some of his video editing tips about from a pro who's uh, been on television programs or worked for television programs on National Geographic and other places so so I originally uh, started interviewing people in YouTube channels because I asked my uh, folks on Facebook and like large Facebook groups, you know, what were the blogs that they followed? And they, they said they were following actually people on YouTube. Those were the, the B blogs that they were following. Uh, and so I've had the opportunity to interview a lot of, you know, very successful YouTube channels such as uh, Wicked Salty and... Uh, an interview that I'll probably bring you in the next episode, episode 28, it's an interview with uh, Sailing Baby Blue, for example. And, uh, you know, one of the things that has struck me is that, you know, typically uh, the younger cruisers, uh, they typically do it for a year or two and then kind of hang up the, they sell the boat or they, they kind of uh, suspend the cruise maybe to, uh, top up the cruising kitty or just because they, they feel like they've done what they wanted to do 
obviously when we interviewed Wicked Salty, they had Parody up for sale, and I think it's still up for sale. I'm not sure. Sailing Baby Blue, I'm not sure if they're going to sell their boat, uh, but they have decided to suspend their cruise if you followed their channel. And SV Prism still going strong. The Sundowner sales, again, didn't have a huge YouTube channel when I talked to them. They built a bigger one about their RVing adventures. They've kind of taken a break from their cruise, but I think they're very excited about going back to their boat. So we'll see how that goes. One, one boat I've not interviewed is the crew of uh, La Vagabond. They're going to actually suspend their cruise, uh, and even though they've got halfway around the world, and start on a new boat that somebody's going to give them. But you got to think, La Vagabond is, is uh, different than everybody else in that uh, they have a much huger following than anyone else on YouTube in terms of sailors. So it, it, it seems to me that a lot of these kind of younger cruises often kind of end early, and I could come up with other examples of people with large channels, large followings, and uh, they, they've just kind of suspended their sailboat cruising. Episode 14 guest, Nikki Steiger of White Spot Pirates. You know, I think I've mentioned this in previous podcasts. She's had kind of all kinds of issues with her boat, uh, but uh, she's had, most recently had a pretty bad engine issue, and it's up in the air whether she's going to attempt the South Pacific now and leave Panama after her kind of cruise of the Western Caribbean. So I, I, I think that just kind of goes to say that a lot of these cruises are are not everlasting and that the ones that that go many years are exceptional, not, not the norm, especially if you're talking about younger cruisers. But I think it's true with older cruisers, too, that that the, the one for everyone that goes 10 years, uh, there's a lot more that go one year. I think the slow boat's still going strong. We'll see how it how we launch uh, in the in May, but we're still planning on going to the Marquesas next year and stopping at the Galapagos. So I found out a I found a haul out facility in Hiva Oa, and it's my hope to spend at least two seasons in French Polynesia. We'll take it when it comes. I've been I've interviewed some candidates for the crew position. Uh, if you're you think you're a great person who doesn't have anything to do for two to three months during the summer, uh, then you know you're welcome to apply. I've not been super serious about it because I've been more focused on riding slow boat to Cuba. And I'll probably, you know, redouble my efforts with the applications and the screening process. Uh, it is kind of a long process, uh, so I, I want to definitely know who my crew members are before we kind of launch uh, for two to three months. Uh, I am asking people to pay their flights in and flights out, uh, but I cover the food while on the boat. And, uh, of course, the passage is free. I just got my Coast Guard captain's ticket in the mail. Uh, and so I'm pretty excited about that. If you listen to Jeff Wedding's podcast, we talked about that visit on his podcast. And I also 
which is the Shooting the Breeze Sailing podcast. And I also visited the Adventure Sports podcast uh, since we last spoke. So thanks to Jeff and thanks to Kurt Linville at the Adventure Sports podcast. So I want to say thank you to all the patrons of the Slow Boat Sailing podcast. Uh, I've traditionally uh, mentioned the new ones, and uh, but I'll, I'll mention the first names of all of the patrons right here. Thank you to Russell, Presmec, Moritz, Fred, Amber, and Aurora, who are all first mate patrons, uh, pledging $2 per episode. And thank you to Steve, Jeff, The Sailing Road, Rob, Project Infinito and Jack, uh, who have been giving at the $1 level. It takes probably about 16 hours to produce a podcast and put it out with all the show notes. These pledges, which uh, add up to about $16 an episode. We had several new pledges since the last episode. I appreciate that. Help to defray the costs of hosting the podcast and also paying for the the website. So thank you to those that did that. And this last month of August and September, all the revenues that we're getting from Patreon, uh, we're going to donate to the American Red Cross, their Louisiana relief. And so I put a couple videos on my YouTube channel talking about the flooding and uh, here in Louisiana, which was really bad. And in in my part of the river is not nearly as bad as it is just a few miles away. And I think probably the worst flooding was in the Baton Rouge area of Louisiana, which I did drive through while I was taking the Coast Guard captain's exams. And it was, it was very bad. So patrons, uh, in addition to getting a free... Uh, How to Sail Around the World part-time audiobook. Also get access to all the bonus episodes since episode 10 with S.V. Delos. And uh, I think Patreon's recently made it possible to give patrons individual RSS feeds for audio files. I'm not sure how that's working. So far, they've been able to either download it or stream the bonus episodes We'd love to get feedback from our current patrons about if they've tried that, but that will make it easier to to get the bonus episodes. No one has uh, donated at the you know five dollar or ten dollar level, the captain or admiral level, and you know maybe we'll redo the the rewards after I kind of get Slowbo to Cuba done. One of the benefits of being at that level is that uh, you get mentioned in Slow Boat to Cuba in the acknowledgments. And uh, I don't know if I'll do that with subsequent books, but we're going to do that with Slow Boat to Cuba. The other benefit is if you do pledge at the $5 level, we're already at $16 on Patreon. And I said that if we get to 20, I'm going to give away Slow Boat to the Bahamas to everybody in the world for free as an ebook version on Amazon. So you not only support the podcast, but you also support the cruising dreams of any sailor who's willing to 
download a book. That's uh, that's a bonus. I think if you look at our sailing site versus other sites, uh, we have a lot of support of a lot of different people, but probably our average pledge is a, is a lot lower than uh, a lot of other uh, sailing content providers, whether they be putting out podcasts or they're putting out videos. But I appreciate everybody that supports the podcast. And I understand you like the podcast, but you don't want to support it monetarily. I totally understand that. One way you can do support the podcast without donating money is write a rating or review on iTunes, which helps people find the podcast. And uh, I'd really appreciate that you do. All right, so without further ado, let's talk to the crew of SV Prism about their cruise in California, Mexico, and Central America on the Pacific Coast. You guys sail out of California. What's your home port? Uh, right now, it was, it was Berkeley, but we're taking it to St. John, U.S. Virgin Islands. Okay, so you would like to go to the USVI? We did it more or less for uh, factory. I mean, at, the, at the time, it was for factory because uh, California still believes that we will eventually return if we have an alien port of Berkeley. So uh, we changed it to a place that doesn't have any uh, property taxes for that reason. Wow. So you pay property taxes on your boat? Definitely. Okay. And Berkeley still, as long as we have a Berkeley alien port, uh, the county of Alameda thought we were for sure coming back, so they wanted us to pay uh, property taxes while we were not even there. So that was the impetus of moving the alien port. Oh, wow. I, I had never heard of that. Uh, somebody actually asked me if I paid property taxes on my boat, and I was like, I don't think anybody pays property taxes on a boat. But I, I, it's just yeah. Alameda County or all of California? All of California. Yeah, I believe it's all. Wow. It's just notorious for being really stickler about it, too. So. I think we pay like, I don't know, $27 a year or something in Louisiana to get our oh, boat wow. registered. <laughs> a lot of people don't register their boats, too, so. Not yet, and, um, in Alameda County, not only do you pay the property tax, which they assess on the fair, uh, not even the fair market value of your boat, but just like the the value of your boat. So they walk the docks, and if you have a nice looking boat, then they're going to charge you the most, like the highest amount, and then it's uh, it's about ten, a nine percent, not not sorry, two percent, two percent a year, two percent of the declared value of their assessed value. Your boat. Whew. Go to have And then on top of that, you pay uh, a mud tax. For, that's what if you're uh, if you're there in a marina, you're paying. The Alameda County they charge you for the mud that's underneath your boat in the marina. <laughs> that's funny. Yes, it's, it's a bit ridiculous. It's a bit harsh. Doesn't the marina pay? I don't. I don't. So, so the marina has to pay for, or the boat owner has to pay for water property, property under the water. Yeah. I've yeah. never heard of that either. 
Good old California. Yeah. So originally we were, our home port was Berkeley, California, but because of the Alameda County taxes, we have changed it to St. John's USVI. Okay, so you may never go to St. John's USVI. Who knows? Yeah, at this point we come from. Okay. Not in the near future, who knows? When did you buy your boat? May 2013. Okay. When did you uh, leave Berkeley for the big cruise? October 2014. Okay. So you spent maybe a year or so getting used to it and fixing it up the way you liked it? Yeah, we, um, we did what we like to call the 30-year the upgrade. So, we, <laughs> so all of the major problems that a 30-year-old boat has, we took care of. Uh, we recalled the teak decks, replaced the, took down the mast and rewired it. Uh, and uh, we had a faulty bow sprit, we took care of that. So all of the, the big ticket items we did. Minus the engine. Minus the engine. But I rebuilt, I basically did like a, a, a big facelift on the engine before we left as well. Oh, what did you do to the engine? Well, I uh, tore it down basically to its block. I moved the exchanger. I replaced all the hoses on it, uh, all the clamps, all the engine beds, repainted it, sent off the fresh water pump and raw water pump to have rebuilt because you can't buy them new anymore. Uh, rebuilt the starter, had that sent off as well. So it's almost 30 years old, and uh, on our just yesterday, early yesterday, its uh, fresh water pump snapped. So it's the fresh water pump's attached to a pulley, and then like a three-eighth inch uh, rod just snapped into steel. So I luckily had a spare, but. It sounds like you've got a really old engine that you really can't get spares for, except if you own another engine. Pretty much, or if you have, like, there's a great guy, for, at least for the pumps that we found at uh, Salem, Oregon. Salem, Oregon, called the Flying Dutchman. And he, uh, he repaired, he, he, he specializes in rebuilding pretty much any kind of pump. And when we sent him, our, after Yanmar told me the seals are no longer available and I couldn't buy them if I wanted to, I sent it up to that guy, and he rebuilt it. He uh, machined out all the seals for more standard seals and gave me a whole list of the seals that I need now to do bearings. And so now our two pumps have been standardized so I can actually get parts anywhere in the world. So that was a pretty sweet deal, and it was relatively inexpensive. It was like 250 bucks for both pumps to be totally rebuilt and sent back to me. So we were pretty happy with that. What kind of engine is it? Yanmar 32M30. Oh, okay, so I'm surprised you couldn't get parts for a Yanmar because I have a Yanmar 3GM30F. Yeah, 3GM predates the, the GM series. Uh, the Hans Christian 
much I'll have the 3 2 30 in it because in 81, Myanmar did continue the 3 2 and And it seems like to me that the story is uh, Hans Christian basically bought a large, like basically the end stock of all the 3 2 30s. And so basically they were putting a discontinued engine in a brand new boat from the get go. Yeah. Myanmar only makes their parts for their engines that have been discontinued for 15 years. So it's been discontinued for, I think, 31 years now. So the parts that you can get are usually hard to come by if you can find them at all and usually extremely overpriced. <laughs> like, like a high, high pressure uh, fuel pump is about $1,800 for the vehicle. I found a brand new raw water pump for our engine and I paid. 800 bucks for it, and that was, that was considered a deal. Generally, they go for about 14 to 1500 bucks. So, uh, yeah, it's expensive, but we're, they're, they're re reliable. Were Hans Christians made in Taiwan? Because I think I yeah. read a book about somebody that worked uh, for the Hans Christian factory, and he was talking about kind of the, the end of their days, you know, when it all kind of fell apart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as it does for all sailboat manufacturers. Go ahead. Yeah, like Taiwan, from what it sounds like, I've never been to Taiwan, but from the research we did, the Hans Christian basically, I mean, at every line, every every side, so the, the true line of Hans Christians is the 33, the 38, the 41, the 43, and the 48. Mm -hmm. And those, the, they were all, they were all Hans Christians, but almost none of them shared the same yard that they were built in. So, so like our Hans Christian 33 was built at the Honda yard, where the 38s were, a lot of 38s, the 38s were built all over the place, because there's so many more of the 38s. But basically, it's hard to pinpoint, really, like each yard was known either for really good quality, or just shoddy quality, or kind of just mixed quality. We call them like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but it's like depending on what day of the week and who was working might depend on how quality your your boat is and if, you know, if the right steel was, you know, installed or welded right or, you know, it, it all depends. Luckily, the Hansa Yard for the 33s are notorious for being root. The Hansa Yards are notorious for being... What was that? Uh, I lost you after the Hansa Yards are notorious for being... Yeah, they're, they're just, the, 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 the tension of detail seemed to be higher than the rest. And in 86, the Hansa yard closed and a different yard picked up um, the 33 production. And you can see the, the boat owners can see the difference in quality between the boats that was built in the Hansa yard versus the other yard. Yeah, the cool. I, I can't remember the name of the other yard, but... Yeah, I mean, we've met one other boat on this cruise that was a 33 that was built in 87. And it, it, there's just even little tiny details. Like when you lift up a, a like a, 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 the pate and like the cross members are no longer solid pieces of teeth and they're, you know, the, 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 the support beams are no longer teeth, they're plywood. Or like the chain plates coming out are no longer rounded, they have more hard edges on them. Just you can tell that they were.
and but each boat was on a semi-custom basis too, so every every boat is a little different than the next. What were you guys doing before you started sailing uh, on your big cruise in 2014? Um, well, before that, uh, we bought a 28-foot caliber sailboat, and we bought her on the West Coast and completely gutted her down to nothing and rebuilt her. We spent two years doing that, sailed her in Southern California, realized we wanted a bigger boat, and then we found them. Oh, okay. So when did you buy the 28? When did you buy the 28-foot boat? We bought um, June 2010. Okay. So you've owned boats since about 2010. Did you guys have any sailing background before that? John grew up sailing, and I did not. I, I, the sailing boats were um, a mystery to me. But he convinced you to go on the first one and you stayed on to prison. That is correct, yes. Uh, John's pickup line was one for the record book. When we met, he looked at me and uh, said, Shannon, sail around the world. And we haven't been... John, you were a pretty uh, active sailor. You had kind of big dreams before you met, correct, right? Well, uh, yeah, when I met Shannon, uh, she, she uh, I mean, I had... I had a fair amount of sailing experience, but really no like long-term ocean experience. So my uh, my 19-year-old brain was definitely assuming that I could sail around the world quite easily, and uh, I can tell my past self now that it's not as easy as it seems. But definitely, the dream's still there. I mean, uh, but it, it, yeah. Okay, you're you're not as ambitious as you were when you were 19, <laughs> or maybe a more jaded. I think I'm more realistic. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. So tell me about your current cruise with Prism. You guys left from Berkeley, and then where did you go? So we, we took our time going down the California coast, uh, stopping at pretty much every location. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, we, we are, we're always kind of the first one there and the last one to leave kind of thing. Like, we like to actually um, feel out at each cove we stay at if it's comfortable, and it's, it's kind of like when you dive underwater and you can't, you know, all the fish. If, if, you, if you just dive underwater really quick, all the fish are not going to be there. But if you just hang out there for a little bit, you'll see everything come to life a little bit on you. That's the same kind of mentality I have with like coves and bays. Like you, you need to stay there a couple days to really get an appreciation for what the cove has to offer, as long as it's comfortable. When we left California, we, uh, once we got to Southern California, we picked up my brother Sean, and he sailed down the, uh, the coast of Baja with us and rounded up into Sea of Cortez. So we had my brother on board for the first six months, and uh, when we did the Baja coast, uh, we took two months from Ensenada to Cabo, which most cruisers bypass, and uh, it's, it's a real bypass that coast because it is wonderfully you go there and you still get that, that feel where you pull into a little fishing village like a, the town of Cepolito and the villagers are so excited to see you that they run out and greet you and you know they're, they're happy to do anything for you and that's getting harder and harder to find as more cruising uh, boats are out there and the destination of cruisers and the, and the tourists so to find local to find a little place where locals are 
so excited to see where you're, you are still in a rare state. It's very exhilarating, you know, when you watch the, or you read or watch the old videos for cruisers who set off in the, in the 60s, and they talk about how villagers, you know, they've never seen, um, you know, outsiders pull into their little cove. It's, it's quite the, quite the, the feeling to experience by yourself. Yeah, I think it was a little like that for us um, in Nueva Girona on the south coast of Cuba. We were definitely the only boat there, and everybody acted like we were the only tourists there too. <laughs> but I, you know, I I think they do get, you know, maybe ten boats a season. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so we we took two months doing the Bahamas and to California that head south to Mexico. There. Uh, a lot of them do the ha and at that point you're only making two stops along the coast, and you don't need to get to enjoy those stops unless you're you're held held up for weather. And so it was three stops. Okay, and I, we would just completely recommend to to do your own thing going down that coast to see it all. Cause it's, I mean, it's, we really haven't. I mean, now that we're Costa Rica, it feels we're getting that same oh my goodness factor with every Anchorage, but. It also could have been the fact that it was uh, that was our first stretch of, of an uncharted area for us, and we were very excited about starting our cruise. So that could have also been a major player in why we liked it so much. Well, I'm really interested in uh, Costa Rica for cruising, especially the Pacific side, because uh, my boat's in Panama right now, and I'm trying to figure out a good long-term storage place for my boat because I'm going to go back to work and at the end of the summer and uh, I haven't been able to find kind of uh, a long-term storage uh, dry storage place for sailboats on the Pacific side of Panama and I was wondering you know what's it like uh, cruising in Costa Rica uh, what uh, what are the things that you need to have I've heard some reports that it's very cruiser unfriendly there. You're there, so it might be not too bad. What, what's the so charges? We, we've had lots of people tell us um, that Costa Rica is very expensive and there's no place to anchor. It's all very difficult, and we have not had that type of experience. So we've, um, we've had great anchorage areas. And the marinas are expensive, so if you're going to cruise, if your marina offers, yes, you, you do not want to come to Costa Rica because the marinas are far in between, and they are they charge about three dollars a foot. So, but other than that, Costa Rica, I mean, it was it was free to check in, um, but you only you get a ninety day cruising permit, so you can only be here for ninety days. Um, if you want to stay longer, you have to put your boat to a bond. So it's not like Mexico where you get like a temporary temporary import pass. You okay. have to put your boat in bond if you want your boat to stay in Costa Rica longer. I'm not sure how much that costs and what the logistics of it are, but um, if you were looking for long-term storage on the Pacific side, I would recommend going to Puerto de Sol in Nicaragua. Oh, okay. All right. That was a good tip. It's a little, little north of here, but not too far. I guess you just skip Costa yeah, Rica. It is just a little further north, and it's at the at the 
the area where the, the tropical storms start to hit. So you're kind of, yeah, you're further up a little bit. Yeah, that's the other thing. My insurance company says I need to be south of the box or whatever it is, which means pretty much Panama. So I'm not sure if I could store up north without changing my insurance anyways. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, that's the, so for long-term storage, yeah, Costa Rica does not have that type of accommodating uh, prices for long-term storage for people who don't have millions of dollars. <laughs> um, okay, so, go ahead. I was just gonna say, right now we're, we're, uh, we're actually, our friends are getting married, and we're in Manuel Antonio National Park, and we're looking out over the bay, and I, so far, I mean, nothing has compared to this, but all of mainland Mexico that we approved, this is, for people who bypass Central America, and they are missing a lot. Wow. Um, so, there, this is a wonderful bay, what, the, the name of the park is what? Manuel Antonio. Manuel Antonio, okay, I'll keep yes. that in mind. So, I guess you stopped at many places in Central America. You went, you went down uh, the Baja Peninsula, and then you went into the Sea of Cortez, and then you went down the Mexican coast, and you probably stopped some other places too? Yeah, so we, we spent, once uh, we wrapped up in the Sea of Cortez, we stayed on, on the, on, we put the boat on the hard in Guaynas, Mexico, which is up in Sonora, mm -hmm. and the, uh, on the mainland side, and went home for a little bit, and came back uh, in December of 2015, and we then sailed down the mainland coast side, which, again, most cruisers don't do, because um, there's really only three stops between Guaymas and Mazatlan, and it's one of those places where they still only see like one or two sailboats. So did you haul out for hurricane season? Is that it? or? That is correct, yes. We, we hauled out in late May of uh, 2014 and uh, put her at Gabriel's yard in Guaymas. We had a, and that's, that's like, if you're looking for a long-term storage, you know, with $100 a month for your boat to be on the harm. So oh, sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was nice. And they're very professional. And it, was, it was a very easy process. Um, and then we came back and did some work on some more maintenance work on Prism. And then we did, I feel like moving nonstop ever since. Okay. Uh, are you going to, are you kind of done for the season now or are you going to keep on going? Hopefully we'll get to see you. <laughs> Probably not. I don't. I don't think we'll be going through the Panama Canal this summer. The way things are looking, it's looking like we'll end up hauling out uh, in ju late July on the Caribbean side. But if you're going through the canal to the Caribbean side, maybe we'll see you. If it's possible, we we haven't decided yet if we're going to spend a whole year in Panama and really cruise the the Las Perlas uh, Islands. 
mm-hmm. and then go through the canal from April next year. Right. And then head up towards the, uh, we really want to get to Belize. Or we might cross over to the South Pacific. We really don't know which way we want to go. So we'll see. And since Panama allows you, you know, they give you a one-year visa cruising permit, we figured we might as well use it all up. Okay. Alright, that's like a good plan. You went, uh, did you, you spent some time in Nicaragua, uh, were there any other places that you spent some time in that you liked? Uh, okay, so when we left Mexico, um, we didn't go into El Salvador, but uh, we had to move pretty quickly since we had to be at this wedding. So we, we bypassed El Salvador, and but we did pull into Ponseca, the Gulf of Ponseca. And we checked into Honduras. We went to Isla Tigre in Honduras in the in the bay in the Gulf of Fonseca and that was so easy and so worth it. Honduras is free to check in. You the piers right there, immigration you walk in and they say how long do you want to stay? And you say about ten ten days, two weeks, I don't know, and they're like, Okay, and they just stamp your passport and say welcome and it's relatively cheap and everyone's super friendly and the island's beautiful, the giant volcano is, it was a, it's a hidden gem and they like they only get about maybe five boats a year. So that was that was worth it. It was it was a wonderful experience. And then once we left the uh, Fonseca, the Gulf Fonseca, we pulled into just one anchorage in Nicaragua to catch some sleep because the weather was a little uncomfortable. We have, uh, uh, since we've left Mexico, our weather has been uh, squally and everything is on the nose. So we know we're going in the right direction because that's where the coming from. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Sometimes it feels like that for us too. We've really had some uh, squally weather as we approached Panama. Uh-huh. It's definitely the rainy season. Definitely the rainy season. So, but now that we're here in Costa Rica, you know, we 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 did the stupid thing where we set a date where we had to be somewhere at a certain time, which is a thing you should never do while cruising because you tend to push yourself into situations that you probably wouldn't normally be, and you bypass anchorages that you would like to stay longer at. Um, so, but now that we're here, we don't have any more deadlines. We're just going to take it all in and really probably slow down and. If we like somewhere, stay there for a week. So tell me why you guys chose the Hans Christian 33. Was that, was that like, did you feel like you got a good deal on the boat? Or was that a boat you were dreaming about? So tell me what about the Hans Christian 33 made you want to get it? Well, we picked the boat because the best boat ever created. Everyone knows that. <laughs> when, when we first started looking for boats, the uh, Hans Christian was a... Uh, they kind of always had everything we ever wanted in a boat, but we could never afford it. So that's why we bought that first 28-foot boat when we first started. Um, and then after rebuilding that boat and spending, you know, living on it for a year, or that small boat, uh, her name was Tara, we really had a list of what it was that we wanted in our next boat. And we didn't, didn't want a big boat. We wanted to stay under 40 feet, ideally under 35 feet. John's, John's requirements for a boat was had to have, and the engine could not be in the floor. And I didn't want to sleep in a beaver. 
I wanted a salt shower and I wanted a separate cabin so that if we had guests stay, there were two rooms. And the Haunt Christian 33 is pretty much the only boat under 40 feet that has all of those characteristics. Right. And we were lucky enough, yeah, we were lucky enough to find Prism um, and uh, we sent a letter into the the owners and the brokerage kind of sweet talking. We're young. We have this dream of sailing. We love the haunt of Christians. We want this book so bad. Will you take our offer? He says, no. But I will tell you this is my bottom dollar. And luckily his bottom dollar was our max dollar. And it worked out for us <laughs> and we were able to buy her. <laughs> okay, great. So... Uh, let me think. I'm thinking through the list. Okay, so uh, I got a 31-foot island packet, and we do have a separate cabin in the that is private in the quarter berth. That's not the V berth. The V berth is also private. It also has a, a shower in it. What were the other requirements? Oh, I, I did not want a V berth. Yeah, you did did not you did not want to stay in a V berth, or you wanted a boat that had no V berth. What what is in the the V birth of the Hans Christian? That's where the head is. Okay, all right. So the, the head and the soft shower is in the very forward. Ah. And we have a Pullman berth that's off to the side, and then the aft cabin in the back. Okay, all right. So you just didn't want a V birth period. It wasn't that you didn't want to sleep in the V birth. You just thought it was a waste of space. Um, well, I think I think the, 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 I, I I definitely didn't want to sleep in a V birth, and. Uh, yeah, I guess a, a, yeah, a little bit of a waste of space. I didn't like crawling over the where you put your head. Yeah, and I didn't like crawling over a pillow to get to bed. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah. And, and plus, John is 6'4", and the point of a V-birth is fighting for foot space. Very complicated. True. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, no, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't fully like the Hans Christians, too. I just, uh, you know, it was definitely like a childhood... Whenever I was looking at boats, I always definitely kept an eye out for the Hans Christian. My dad always held them, and he always said if he did, he would own any other boat with Hans Christian 33, and that always kind of stuck with me. And I didn't really know why until I really started looking at the layout. And and they're actually pretty, I mean, it's for being, you know, super heavy little boats, they actually perform quite well, so... Well, that's, uh, I think everybody thinks they're beautiful boats, and they're great cruising boats. I'm impressed that you didn't, you've got plenty of headroom being 6'4", and you got plenty of leg room in the uh, the berth. That's great, too. Yeah, the berths are at least 6'5", and the boat has 6'3", of headroom. So, but it has 6'4", in the center, but 6'3", outside. So I can stand up in the center of the boat, which is fine, because the way the boat's kind of designed, you walk down the center line of the boat. But, uh, but like, when I'm doing this, luckily I don't have the best posture in the world, so I'm more or less 6'3", six, okay. six, most of the time. So you can get the second half of that interview as a bonus episode if you are a patron of the podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. You can follow us on Twitter at slowboatsailing or you can go follow us on Facebook slash slowboatsailing. Our YouTube channel is slowboatsailing. There's a trend. Look forward to talking to you again in about a month in October when we'll bring the crew of 
Sailing Baby Blue. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.